Uh, my name is Letabo and I'm part of the students' team here at Christchurch Madrand and I'll be doing the Bible reading for us tonight, which is found in the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. That is John, chapter 3, verse one, verses 1 to 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, you that, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of God. Evening, everybody. If you are new to our church, my name is Martin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church Madran. And uh, David and Royden have been working their way through Ephesians, mainly David. And David asked me to stand in for him this evening. He's got a wedding and he thought he wouldn't be back in time so I said I would pass I would help him out but I'm not going to continue in Ephesians because David and Royden have been doing such a wonderful job I would do something quite different so that's why we're having a look at John chapter 3 verse 1 to 15 which may be well known to some of you perhaps not to all of you and it's a wonderful wonderful passage for us to have a look at. So let me pray as we come to God's word. It'll be a great help to me if you do have your Bibles open in front of you, either your cell phone or the Bible, as we work through this passage to see what Jesus is teaching us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the great joy that we have just had to sing your praises. Thank you that we've been able to take our eyes off ourselves and place them on you. We thank you for that privilege and that joy. And now we pray, Lord, that you may take away all the voices that we hear in our minds and the things we worry about and think about and help us to focus on your word and that we may not hear voices around us, but we may hear the voice of God as we read the word of God. So speak to us again this evening, Lord. We need to hear from you. We pray that you may convict us, you may teach us, you may encourage us, but above all, you may meet with us. And we pray this 
for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, you will know that John's Gospel is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we have here are eyewitness records. We have the source documents of the Christian faith. So if you want to find out about Jesus, if you want to look at the source documents, you don't have to go to Google. All you need to do is go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because here we have the biographies, so to speak, of Jesus. And if you want to meet Jesus, you don't need a vision, you don't need a dream, you don't need some mystical experience. No, you can meet Jesus as he walks off the pages of John's Gospel or one of the other Gospels. Perhaps you've wondered why there are four Gospels. Well, there are four Gospels because there are four different authors who are writing to four different audiences with four different purposes in mind to tell them about Jesus. So we have this treasure, not just of one account, but four accounts of four different eyewitnesses, sources, describing this man called Jesus. One of the differences between John and the other three Gospels, they called the Synoptic Gospels because that means they're quite the same, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more like the public ministry of Jesus. So you read about his actions, his miracles, his parables, uh, his teachings. It's more the public ministry of Jesus, whereas John's gospel is more intimate, where you meet Jesus as he has personal conversations and personal encounters with individuals. So it's a little bit like the difference between ENCA News and Power to Truth with J.J. Tabani. And uh, John's Gospel is more like Power to Truth by J.J. Tabani. It's more intimate. And we're looking at chapter 3 where Jesus has this intimate conversation with Nicodemus. Chapter 4, he has a wonderful conversation with a Samaritan woman. And it's much more one-to-one conversations which teach us a great deal, not only about Jesus but about the Gospel. Now, we're going to look at three principles. Uh, To be born again is essential, number one. Number two, to be born again is God's work. And number three, to be born again, you need to trust in the Son of God. So those are the three main principles, but let me just give you some context. Always good to have some context. The author is, of course, John. John was one of the 12 apostles. In fact, he was one of the three closest apostles with... with, um, with Peter and James. They were the three closest. And John was possibly a cousin of Jesus. So if anyone knew what Jesus was like, it would have been John, who had probably been brought up with him, but certainly spent those three years as one of his intimate friends. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said to his mother, he said, woman, behold your son. Talking about John. John would take care of you. And he said to John, behold your mother. So what we have here is one of the 12 who was there, he was eyewitness, he saw, he heard, um, and he's giving us a record of that. Chapter 2, we're in chapter 3, but just quickly, chapter 2, John tells us that the long-awaited Messiah promised and foretold in the Old Testament has finally arrived. That's what he's telling us in John chapter 2. 
The Messiah has come. The Old Testament told us that a Messiah is coming. Well, he's come, says John. He's ushering in his kingdom, the messianic kingdom, the messianic era. It has arrived. And the kingdom first brings joy. So we read that, that passage of Jesus and the wedding at Cana. And what that tells us is that the kingdom has come with joy. There's a wedding feast. There's songs. There's laughter. There's, there's an abundance of food and drink. There's an end of scarcity. There's an end of struggle. The wine is flowing in abundance. The Old Testament said that when the Messiah comes, the hills will drip with wine. So we have the wedding of Cana telling us the messianic age has arrived. But the kingdom hasn't only come with joy. The kingdom has also come with judgment. So in the next passage in John chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple, which is a sign of God's judgment. The temple worship, as it was practiced by the Jewish people, was facing God's judgment. He cleanses the temple. And Jesus says, "I I am replacing the temple with my own body. I am the temple. Remember, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days talking about his resurrection, which means the temple symbolized the presence of God. The Messiah has arrived. The messianic age has come. Come with joy and it's come with judgment. And the old temple worship is gone. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the new tabernacle. Jesus is the new high priest. Jesus is the new sacrifice. So what all of this tells us, we'll get to chapter 3 in just a moment. This Jesus who has arrived, recorded by John the disciple, is not some personalized God. He's not a batik God who is here to satisfy your every felt need. No, he's not a teddy bear. He's not your boyfriend. He's not a vending machine. No, he is the long-awaited Messiah King, promised in the Old Testament. He's finally arrived. He's ushering in his messianic kingdom, his messianic era. And the question that John answers in John 3 is, how do you gain entry into the kingdom? The Messiah has now come. The messianic kingdom is at hand. The messianic era is at hand. He's arrived. In joy and judgment. The question is, how do I become a citizen of this kingdom? How do I gain entry into this kingdom? How do I get to know this king, this messianic king? And that is what John is answering here in chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. All right, let's dig in. First principle, to be born again is essential. Let me read from verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the first shock in this conversation is that Jesus clearly assumes that Nicodemus has not entered the kingdom of God. He assumes that. He's not a citizen of the kingdom. He doesn't know the king. He doesn't know this messianic king. That's the first shock. And it's a great shock 
because everyone thought that Nicodemus had all the qualifications, all the credentials to enter the kingdom. Notice there, verse 1, he was a Pharisee. They were very, very religious people. They were respected people. They were totally committed to obeying all the laws of the Old Testament, and they are 614. And they were committed to obeying each and every one of them. They were committed to living upright, moral, religious lives. Notice secondly, verse 1, he's a ruler of the Jews. So that means he's a leader in this movement. He's one of the ruling council of Israel, the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin in Israel were a combination of the religious leaders, the political leaders, and the and the legal leaders of the country. So that's like having, that's like having uh, the cabinet, the constitutional court, and the house of bishops rolled into one. That's the Sanhedrin. And he's a member. He's a leading member of this group. Surely the archbishop of Cape Town, surely the dean of theology of UNISA would be a child of God, would be a member of the kingdom of God. Surely Well, obviously not, because Jesus says to him in verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So for all his religion, all his status, all his theology, Jesus knows that he's far away from God's kingdom. Notice verse 2. Notice verse 2. Let me get it. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So like many people, Nicodemus thinks he knows Jesus. He thinks he knows religion. He thinks he's right with God. And Jesus almost in your face says, you don't know me. You don't know God. You know nothing. That's really what Jesus is saying. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, despite all your religion, all your knowledge, all your status, you know absolutely nothing about the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now what we have here is huge. It's absolutely huge. What we have here is the end of religion. What we have here is the end of law-keeping. What we have here is the end of trying to be good, to earn your way into the kingdom. What Jesus is saying here separates him from every religion in the world, every ideology, every philosophy, every churchianity that the world can offer. You don't need more religion, says Jesus. You don't need more goodness. You don't need more church-going, says Jesus. You need a miracle, That's what you need. You need a supernatural act of God. You need a new birth. You need heart surgery. That's what Jesus says. I think we have a massive, massive misunderstanding in our country, in our culture. People think that if they go to church, they're Christians. People think that if I pray, if I fast, if I tithe, if I take communion, then I'm a Christian. People think that if my good works outweigh my bad works, well, then obviously I will go to heaven. Well, my dear friends, that is a total lie. It's a massive lie. It's not the truth at all. 
You see, what Jesus says here is deeply offensive to religious people. You see, good people, religious people, who are not born again, rewrite what God has said. God says, you can't make it on your own. They say, I can make it on my own. God says, repent. They say, well, I'm not such a bad person. God says, you must be born again. They say, I'm fine. I'm a nice person. God says, you need forgiveness. They say, you know, I'm really better than other people. Look at my goodness. Jesus goes to the heart of the problem here and says, Nicodemus, your fundamental problem is that you are a sinner. You are a sinner by birth. You are a sinner from, from your birth, by nature, by thought, by word and deed. Sin is part of your DNA. It's in your genes. Your first birth has made you a sinner. That's your problem. A rebel against God. That's why, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Because the first time didn't work. You need to be regenerated. You need to be born from above. You see, being born again is a complete miracle. It's a complete supernatural act of God. You actually cannot make yourself being born again. It's impossible. It's from God. It's God giving you a new heart, a new mind. Without which, verse 3, notice, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Meaning, if you are not born again, that is, those are frightening verse, words in verse 3. If you are not born again, says Jesus, you are excluded from heaven. You are excluded from God's presence. You are excluded from the kingdom, kingdom of God. That's terrifying. Verse 4, have a look. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Like many intellectuals, I think he's full of scorn. He almost laughs at Jesus. <laughs> um, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Come on, Jesus, he says. You can't be serious. I mean, that's crazy. Hashtag brains must fall. But Jesus won't be stopped. So Jesus in verse 5 says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now the water here does not refer to baptism. It refers to washing, to cleansing. And the Spirit refers to regeneration, a supernatural spiritual act of God of being born again. So Jesus says you not only need to be washed and cleansed, you need my Spirit to come into your heart, to give you a new heart, to give you a new nature. Jesus is using the language of Ezekiel. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Isaiah, Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, one of the major prophets. 
Ezekiel 36, verse 24. Now, notice the language of Ezekiel, and notice that it's exactly the same language that Jesus is using in John 3. Ezekiel 36, let me read from verse 24. So here, here Ezekiel is prophesying of the messianic era, of the messianic kingdom that is coming. He's foretelling and he says, verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean, notice here, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Notice there once again, the same terminology. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So notice there, verse 24, it's not only for Jews, it's for Jews and Gentiles, all nations. Verse 25, you are to be washed and cleansed. Verse 26, you need to be born again. You need to replace your heart of stone with a new heart. Verse 27, you need the Spirit to be placed within you. Back to John 3. You see how the language of Ezekiel helps us to understand what Jesus is talking about? Verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he says, Nicodemus, you need to understand that sinful human nature can only give birth to sinful human nature. Sinful human flesh can only give birth to sinful human flesh. It's only God's spirit that can deal with your sinful flesh. Now, I'm well aware that many people don't like the term, the phrase of being born again. Sometimes they don't like it because they perhaps had a bad experience with someone who claims to be born again. Sometimes the phrase has sometimes been used incorrectly. But I think the main reason that people don't like a second birth is, is because they don't think it's necessary. I think that's why people don't like it. I don't need to be born again. I don't need to be born a second time. There's nothing really wrong with my first birth. So why do I need a second birth? I know I'm not perfect. I'm human. I'm no, I'm, I know I'm not perfect. I'm really a good person, a nice person. Okay, I may need a bit of panel beating and tweaking and editing. But deep down, I'm a nice guy. Why do I need a second birth? The first was fine. Now notice verse 7, Jesus doesn't agree at all, does he? He says, they do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Notice the word must, it's not an optional extra. He is saying, it's not as if some Christians are born again, but other Christians aren't born again. He's not saying that. No, he says you can't be a Christian if you haven't been born again. That's what he's saying. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Notice what Jesus says. So it's the same teaching in a different context. 
the same teaching, Mark 7, verse 20 to 23. Jesus tells us here what the basic problem is, what the heart of the problem is. Mark 7, verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. We're all there, aren't we? All of us. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That's our problem. The context is chapter 7, verse 1 to 4, which is where Nicodemus comes from. Chapter 7, verse 1, Now when the Pharisees, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee, gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches of all things. So for the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, being right with God had to do with rites and rituals. It had to do with external washing of pots and cups and kettles and couches. In some Christian traditions, there's a great deal of emphasis on those things, sadly. What you wear at church, what you don't wear at church, when you stand, when you sit, when you kneel. When do you make the sign of the cross? When to fast? What to eat on certain days? What not to eat on certain days? And sadly, in some church traditions, those become very, very important, not unlike the Pharisees. And Jesus says, yeah, it's entirely irrelevant, guys. If you believe that, you've been seriously misled. The heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. That's why Jesus says, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within. So Nicodemus, you don't need to try to be a better person. You don't need these rituals and these rules and these regulations. No, you need a new heart. You need a miracle. Many of you know the writings of Paul Tripp. If you find a book by Paul Tripp, buy it. They are well worth reading anything he writes. He wrote a book called Lost in the Middle. And he asked the question, why do we live in a world of broken promises, dashed dreams, where fresh things decay, good things go bad, people tell lies, young things grow old, everything deteriorates? Why do we live in a world like that? He answers his own question, and it's quite brilliant. He says, I quote, we live in a world that has been bent and twisted by a force so fundamental, so powerful, 
that it literally impacts every human thought, every human intention, every situation, every experience of society, and every moment of history. This force is the inescapable pathology of the created universe. It is sin. End of quote. And Jesus says here in Mark 7, he says, it comes from within. That's the problem. It comes from the human heart. So when it comes to the human heart, my dear friends, we all have a spiritual illness. It's like a spiritual HIV AIDS. It's true of every one of us. And the remedy is not a self-improvement program. Go to the gym. Fast for five days. Follow your dreams. Try God. Simply won't do. Back to John 3. No, Nicodemus, verse 6. Your self-improvement program, your New Year's resolutions, is flesh. And flesh only gives birth to flesh. No, Nicodemus, you're a rebel and you need to lay down your arms. You need to be born again. Sometimes I've been accused, not often, but sometimes I've been accused of talking too much about sin. It's mainly because I have personal experience. Um, I have my own heart. But my dear friends, if you do not understand your own sinfulness, your own spiritual brokenness, your spiritual poverty, that you are spiritually pathological, you are not basically good doing a few bad things. No, the Bible says you are basically bad by nature from birth. If you do not understand that, you will never understand the need to be born again. It's like, let's, let's, uh, let's imagine if Waterfall Hospital had a special advert tonight. What's the date? 28th of October. Special, here's a special October special that until the end of the month there is free heart surgery. Free triple bypass surgery. Folks, that's half a million. That's half a million. You would only be interested if you had heart problems. If you didn't have heart problems, you wouldn't even notice. If you don't understand that you are a sinner from birth by nature, that you are spiritually broken and spiritually lost, that you are spiritually pathological, you will not understand how much you need to be born again. To be born again is essential. Principle number two, to be born again is God's work. Notice verse 6 to 8. It's the work of God. John chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you're a parent, you know that when your babies or baby was born, they were sweet, they were cute, they were adorable, but they were not innocent. 
I have two daughters. They were sweet, cute, and adorable. But they were not innocent. They inherited their mother's sinful nature. I joke. My wife will just turn her eyes. So the do it so so the new birth is not a DIY exercise. We are totally incapable of changing ourselves. I cannot change your heart. I cannot change my own heart. Think about January the 1st. You made New Year's resolutions. How long did they last? One day? Three days? What a joke. What? Four days. <laughs> what a joke. What a joke. We can't change ourselves. No apostle, no prophet, no so-called man of God giving you fire and fire can change your heart. Can't. We are born sinners. Verse 6, it's only the spirit that can give birth to spirit. So it's completely, totally a work of God. It's a supernatural miracle by God the Holy Spirit. So, of course, Nicodemus is puzzled. So Jesus uses an illustration, verse 8. And it's actually a play on words because in Greek and Hebrew, the word for spirit is the same word for wind. It's the same word. And he says there, verse 8, the wind or the spirit blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. A little boy asked the owner of a sailing boat, what is the wind? And the owner said, I have no idea what the wind is, but when I lift my sails, the boat moves. That's what happens. Most of us can't remember exactly when we were born again, if you are born again. You can't remember the exact time or date. But you know there's been a change. So over a couple of weeks, a couple of months, there's been a massive change in your thinking. Previously, Jesus was a swear word. Now you love him. Previously, church was to be avoided. Now you love coming to church. Previously, you avoided born-again Christians, didn't you? You, just, <laughs> you got embarrassed. You don't want to be with those people, those Jesus freak people you want to get out of the way. Now you actually like being with them. Something's changed. Previously, when you lied, when you swore, when you cursed, when you lost your temper, well, that's just who I am. That's just who I am. Now, the Spirit has given you a new nature, a new heart. And when you sadly do those things, it grieves you. You feel bad. You offended your best friend, Jesus, when you do those things. Something's changed, hasn't it? So we don't know when the Spirit is working. We can't see the Spirit. The Spirit is, yeah, invisible, unseen. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know where he's going. We don't know what's happening in someone's life. But we will see the change. And it can be radical. That's a miracle. Lastly, notice verse 9. To be born again, you need... To trust in the Son of God. Let me read from verse, 19, from verse 9. 
So, so to be born again is essential, number one. Number two, to be born again is God's work. It's a miracle. Thirdly, to be born again, you need to trust in the Son of God. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How then can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus not only misunderstood what Jesus was teaching, he also misunderstood who Jesus was. And Jesus makes two statements about himself. The first one, notice verse 13. Let me read it again. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying that the only way The only one who can lead us to heaven, to God, is himself, the Son of Man. There is no other way. Obeying the law of Moses won't help you. Holding to the five pillars of Islam can't either. Following your own dream won't get you there. There's only Christ. There's only one way. And I don't need to tell you, our culture hates that about Jesus and Christianity. But Jesus could not be clearer. No one else has ascended or descended from heaven. The second thing Jesus does, he identifies himself in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about Numbers 21, when the nation of Israel were in the wilderness and they were crossing the desert, and they started complaining against God. Why did you bring us here? There's no water, there's no food, there's no proper place to stay. We should have stayed in Egypt. And they grumbled against God, they complained against God, they rebelled against God. And so God sent poisonous snakes amongst them. And uh, the snakes bit them, and many of them died. And the people went to Moses and said, please ask God. They pleaded with Moses, ask God to rescue us. And God said to Moses, you lift up this rod in the shape of a snake. You hold that up, this wooden rod. And if someone looks on that rod, they will live. So imagine, someone's just been bitten by a snake. The poison is coming up their legs, coming through their body, almost clutching at their heart. They are writhing in the dust. They are just about to breathe their last, and they lift their eyes and place it on the rod, and they have life. And Jesus says, I will be on the cross. I will be the one on that rod of wood. And if you place your eyes on me, even though you are dead, spiritually dead, as you place your eyes on me, there's life. And you are transported from eternal death to to eternal life. Let me close. Two questions. Number one.
how do you gain entry into this new messianic kingdom, this new messianic era, this kingdom of God? How do you gain entry? The answer is you must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. That's how you gain entry. That's how you become a citizen of this kingdom. Second question, if being born again is a work of God and not my work, if I can't make myself to be born again, if it is a miracle, <laughs> well then, Martin, what must I do? The answer is, you ask for it. That's what you do. You place your eyes on the rod, on the cross, and you say, Lord, will you cause me to be born again? Because I can't do it myself. Well, let's pray. Perhaps God has been speaking to you this evening and you know that his spirit has been pressing in upon your heart and your mind as we've been singing, as we've been praying, as we've been reading the Bible. You have felt God the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Perhaps today's the day that you need to get right with God. Perhaps you've been putting it off, ducking and diving. Wouldn't today be a good day to say, Oh God, will you have mercy on me? Here's a prayer that you can pray. The way to get right with God, the way to be born again is to talk to God and to ask him to do it. And here's a prayer that can help you. And you may want to pray this prayer just quietly in the back of your mind. It's very personal between you and God. Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all. But I know that I need you. I know that Christ died on the cross for me and my sin. Will you cause me to be born again? Will you make me a Christian? Will you help me to live under your leadership? Father, we thank you that when we come to you with all our doubts and questions, all our sin, our brokenness, and call on you for mercy, that you hear and you answer. So work amongst us tonight, we pray. For Christ's sake. Amen.